We are in our series on the book of John called The Word, the Gospel of John, and I made a correction a couple weeks ago, right? When we talk about Gospels, the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of John, it is the Gospel of Jesus, according to John, according to Matthew, according, it is the good news, the goodest news. I know that that's not a word. The best news, the good news of Jesus, according to John. And John recorded these, these happenings, these words, these, these instances, these miracles to show his readers and to tell his readers. Do you guys remember show and tell in grade school? It was always my favorite time to show off things. Well, John wrote these words. He wrote about these instances to show and to tell of the good news of Jesus, to show us the eternal Word of God who put on flesh and dwelt among us. And as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, uh, and, and over, over through this series a few times actually, that the gospel of Jesus according to John is known as the book of signs. That there are seven major miracles recorded in the book of John. And it's not all that, we talked about this last week, it's not all that Jesus did. It wasn't all the signs, all the miracles that Jesus did, but these signs, these miracles, these things John recorded so that we might believe and that by our believing, we would have life in his name. And so, when you're looking through the Gospels, particularly in the New Testament, there are four Greek words that are often used for miracles, for these miraculous things that happen. First one is ergon. And if you translate that, most of the times it's translated works. Right? These are works that have been done. This Aragon, these are these miracles. Sometimes it's translated teros, which more accurately uh, translates for us as wonders. Right? To fill the audience, to fill the reader, to fill uh, the, the, the people that were in front of Jesus with wonder and awe of his magnitude, his greatness. Wonders. Sometimes these miracles are referred to uh, in the Greek as dunamis which means power, right? These powers that were done, these powerful things that were done. And, and then in the book of John, like I said, most often it's translated, it's, it's the word uh, simian. It's, it's translated signs. And over and over over the last few weeks, I've tried to, to, try to highlight the idea um, that there's a reason why John called them signs. That they're not just powerful acts or wonderful works or anything like that. Uh, these are wonderful, powerful works that are done to show us something, to show us a deeper truth, a deeper reality, a spiritual truth and a spiritual reality. If you go back to the, the very first one in, in John chapter 2, the water into wine, we talked about that extensively, that that was a sign that was done, and we kind of peeled it back a little bit. Kind of try to show that it wasn't just a work or not just a display of his power, but it was a sign instituting, showing uh, a spiritual reality of the institution of a new covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ. Right? If you look at the Old Testament, um, the, the, the stone, uh, well, actually, it, in that miracle, the stone jars that were used that, that Jesus drew the water from, those were purification jars. Right? And water in the Old Testament was used for purification. There was purification rites that would happen, and they would use certain vessels. And, and, and it was for cleansing and washing. 
And Jesus takes water from these purification vessels. He turns it into wine, the symbol of his blood. Right? And that purification is no longer in an old covenant, in old washing, in old ceremonial rites, but this cleansing that comes through his blood, the spotless lamb, the lamb of God who takes away our sins. Right? This beautiful sign of water into wine showing this institution of a new covenant that was coming through the blood of Jesus Christ. What a beautiful thing, what that means for you and for me. But I want to bring a little clarity to my phrasing over the last couple of weeks, right? I've been using the phrase, uh, these signs, they show deep spiritual realities. These miracles and these things that Jesus did were not just, I, I want to bring clarity to it because they're not just spiritual concepts illustrated. It's not just spiritual ideas uh, in a word picture for you and I so that we get it. All of these signs are pointing to a person. Not just to a, a spiritual idea or a concept, but to a person, and of course that person is Jesus. All of these signs revealing the person, the work, the nature, the character of the one who redeems us. Pointing to his restoration. Pointing to his redemption. Pointing to his resurrection and ultimately his glory. His glory and his love on display for us. All of these wonderful signs pointing to not just ideas or concepts, but pointing to us, pointing to us a person, Jesus Christ himself, that we might believe on him and that by that believing we may have life in him. So last week we started this last of Jesus' signs in the book of John. And that's the miracle of the raising of Lazarus. And, and what we really did is we focused in on his love, right? He had a deep affection for this family from Bethany. It was said over and over in the text, right? Lord, the, the one whom you love is ill. And then he says explicitly, Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. His great love for this family. And because he loved them so, he delayed in going to Lazarus. It says it right there in the text. Remember that small word. He loved them so he lingered longer. He stayed another two days. That word, that little so there, connecting those two verses is vitally important. That Jesus delayed on purpose. He let Lazarus die on purpose. He let the pain of loss and death befall Mary and Martha on purpose. We talked extensively how that purpose is the glory of Jesus. It says right there, this sickness does not lead to death, but that the glory of God might be displayed. We talked about how important the glory of Christ is for you and me. That it's not just some egomaniac in heaven, some cosmic egomaniac just, you know, stroking his ego with displaying his glory. But it's important for you and for me to behold the glory of Christ. That it is the most important thing, more than our comfort more than our ease, more than a pain-free life. 
His glory is so important because if we behold his glory, we behold the person of Jesus. And if we behold him, we will believe on him. And if we believe on him, we will have life in him. His glory is vitally important. And for him to preserve his glory, to be about his glory, as we talked about last week, primarily concerned with his glory, is not just some egomaniac but it is so vitally important for you and for me. Last week I said, do not doubt for a moment God's everlasting love for you because he loved Mary and he loved Martha and he loved Lazarus. Don't fall into the trap of measuring God's love by, uh, uh, by your current lot in life, your current situation. Do not measure his love by health or by wealth or by ease or comfort. Because if we measured God's love for us by those means, he hated every one of the apostles. He hated every one of his disciples. You look at their life. You look at the hardship. Look at Paul's life. How he catalogs, man, I was stoned. I was shipwrecked. I was all this stuff. If we measure God's love for us by the ease of our life, by the comfort in this life, by all of We are going to be dismayed. We are going to be constantly disheartened. And I don't know if we can measure God's love, right? It's everlasting. There is no bound to it. There's no end to it. There's nothing that binds it up. It is limitless. But if we were to somehow quantify God's love, I think it would be tied to his faithfulness. His faithfulness towards his people is unending. And he is first and foremost, as I said last week, he is faithful in revealing himself. Revealing his glory that we would behold him. Because that is our most important thing. We know that he loves us because he is faithful to us. We know that he loves us because he has opened our blind eyes. He doesn't allow us to keep persisting in our sin in our rebellion, he has faithfully shown us his glory. He loved Mary, he loved Martha, he loved Lazarus. and He showed up by faithfully revealing himself in his glory. For you and for me, do we notice the ways that God is revealing himself to us? Do we take notice of the ways that he loves us in just being near and being close in some of those most hurtful, sorrowful times? Do we notice his goodness and his faithfulness and his deep love for us? Let's read our text this morning. Let's continue on in this story. Last week we stopped at uh, verse 16. Now let's look at verse 17. We'll read through 27. If you have your Bible, turn in there. It says this, Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus has been, uh, had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning the brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, 
I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. Let's stop there. Father, again, we thank you and praise you for your word. I thank you and praise you, God, that there is a blessed hope in you. That because of you and your glory, because of you and your work, because of you and your power, we have hope. Hope for this life, but hope of eternal life. And I thank you, God, that that is rooted, that that is found, that it is sure and established because it's established in you. So God, today, let us know the hope of you. Let us know the glory that is in you. God, let us see and behold your glory, your power in our lives personally. Let us walk in victory to the glory of Christ Jesus. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. So in general... It's a pretty good idea to follow expiration dates, especially when it comes to food. But I hate to waste things, and I admittedly will push it a little bit. Anybody else? Like, you ever play the smell it game? Like, okay, it, I know it says it's like, a, have you ever, like, I hate to waste things. Have you ever drank, like, a half gallon of orange juice because tomorrow is going to be bad, Right? Like, you're not even enjoying it at that point. You're just, like, trying to not waste it. Leftovers are a little tricky, right? Because you put those in the fridge, and there's no date on them. My wife and I will be like, and, and like, my wife is this, like, she's like, no, that's, like, too old. Like, whatever it is. And I'm like, hey, is it? But is it? Let's give it a smell. Let's smell. Let, like, let's, let's, te- let, it's, sure, it's a little gamey. Is that word? But I don't, I hate wasting things, especially if I've, I'm kind of cheap. So if I've spent money on something, I do not want to waste it, especially if it's good food. But there are times, there are times where, where things feel like a little too far gone. Yes, food, sometimes food. It's a little too far gone. It's expired. But yet, like in our lives, there are situations that feel a little too far gone, things that feel bleak and helpless hopeless, nothing you can do, that it's expired. It's just too far gone. This week in my study, I ran across uh, something. Now, I'm just, full disclosure, this is, uh, this is extra biblical. This is not in Scripture, but uh, a, a teacher that I, that I follow uh, a little bit online and, and uh, has great commentary and, and different things, David Gutzik, he brought this up, that there have been some rabbinical writings found tied to this passage, like tied to the idea that, um, and, and here's this, it's a superstition. There's like this superstition that when someone dies, okay, again, this is not, this is not in Bible, this is, so just don't email me later. Um, that when someone dies, there's a superstition in this ancient time, and it was found in some rabbinical writings, that the soul of a person or the spirit of a person would linger about the body, would hover about the body for about three days. And I was wondering, as I'm looking at this passage, and, and David Gutzik, he, he brings this up in connection with this passage, like, 
Is there a glimmer of hope in people in those three days? Like, Jesus, why? Like, he loves them, and yet he lingers a couple extra days. And when he gets to the tomb, in our verse today, verse 17, he had already been in the tomb for how many days? Four days. Lazarus is too far gone at this point. Even in their superstitions, even if there was a glimmer of hope, Jesus is like putting all of that to rest. Putting all of that. It is not because there's some superstition that, yes, he was gone, but he wasn't quite gone. His spirit and his, his soul or whatever is kind of hovering about him. But no, Jesus is like, he's too far gone. And I'm going to put my glory on display Let's read, our, uh, let's read verses uh, 21 and 22 again. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then these three little words are just beautiful. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. I look at the faith that Martha exhibits, right? Particularly in light, maybe like this was a common superstition, that she knew in her heart, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. But now it's too far gone. Now it's too late. It's been four days. Later on, later on in our story, we'll read this uh, next week, when we actually get to the rising of, of Lazarus and some of the deep spiritual implications that it has for all of us. But even then, like, Jesus like, roll back the stone in Martha herself. Right? The one who shows this beautiful, this beautiful faith in this moment. She's like, there's going to be a bad smell. He's too far gone. He doesn't pass the smell test. You look at the faith that she exhibits. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give it to you. You keep on, keep on reading in our text. Verse 23, it says, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise on the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Like I said, next week we'll be looking at the deep spiritual and eternal realities, the implications, the weight of these statement, of this statement, and the fact that he calls him out of the tomb. I look at this week, like you see the power of Christ in this moment. You see the power of Christ over sin, over death, the most formidable foe. Yes, you see the power of Jesus in this moment. But for all of us, any of us in this room today who are in Christ Jesus, any of us who've beheld the glory of God and placed their faith in the person and work of Christ, like Martha, by that believing, we have, we have life in his name. There is power for you and for me today. There is power for us today in Christ Jesus that there is no situation that you are in that is beyond the help of Jesus. There is not one situation in this room that is too far gone. There is not one person in this room that is too far gone. Because there is power 
I was singing this yesterday. There was wonder-working power. You guys remember that old song? I, was, I had a whole thing going on yesterday. My wife is like, what are you singing? Power, power, wonder. No? Anybody? Okay. Nate, you're the worship leader now. Okay. In Christ Jesus, there is power. In his Holy Spirit, there is power. Power that overcomes the bleakest of situations, the most helpless and hopeless of situations. All of the too far gone situations, Jesus has power. Your marriage is not too far gone. Your anxiety is not beyond the reach of Christ. Your addiction is not at day four gone. Doesn't matter if it's drugs, doesn't matter if it's alcohol, doesn't matter if it's pornography, whatever it is that you are bound by is not bigger than the power of Christ. Your depression is not your new normal. That relationship that is so broken and severed and messed up is not beyond the restorative power of Jesus. You. You are not too far gone. I feel like some of you, some of you need to hear that in this room today. You are not too far gone. There is no situation too far gone for Jesus. I was reminded this week of the beautiful passage in Romans chapter 8. Right? It starts off, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And talks about walking by the, by the Spirit, not by the flesh. Verse 9, it says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. Yes, in the last day, like Mar Martha thought Jesus referred to, we will rise again. But also today, we have the ability to walk, to live life victoriously because of the power of Christ. Because of the power of the Holy Spirit alive in his people. There is resurrection power in Christ miraculous power in Christ, victorious, overcoming power in Christ. But also, Jesus' declaration to Martha, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm trying to figure out, like, resurrection, right? Now that's the bring back to life, but then he says, I am the life. I am the bringing to life, but I am also the life. To me, I look at that and I go, wow, it is beautiful because not only is he the, 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 the raising to new life power, not only is he the uh, reaching down into the depths of your sorrow, into the depths of your addiction, into the depths, depths, excuse me, the depths of your anxieties or your sins and bringing you back and restoring you and redeeming you, but he is the resurrection 
and the life. He is the restorer of life and the sustainer of life. Do you get that? Do you understand that not only is he the restorer of life, but he's the one who carries you and sustains your life? I'm so grateful because it's not that he just like saved us and restored us and then said, good luck, (laughs) figure it out. But Christ is the power to resurrect and redeem and restore, but he's also the power to sustain us in this life. Reminded of a few beautiful verses this week. Really, really, really ministered to my heart. Jude chapter, well, it's only one chapter, (laughs) verses 24 and 25. It says, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. Unto him who is able to keep you from falling. And present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. He presents you. He keeps you from falling and presents you faultless. That's Jesus. Think of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. It says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Sealed up by the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Sealed up by the Holy Spirit. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love the fact that I am not held. I do not just, a lot of times we go, we just got to cling to Jesus. Just got to cling to Jesus. Hold on tight, right? And then you slip away because, you know, it's, it's in our grasp. It's in our hands. It's in my hands to hold on to him. But you know what? He holds on to me. He holds on to you. He seals you up by his Holy Spirit. He keeps you from falling. I think of Psalm chapter 55, verse 22. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. For the longest time, and, and maybe you're at this place today, or maybe you've also had this view. I've, I, for the longest time, I had a faulty view. I had been a Christian for years, and I had a faulty view of God's grace. I knew that, you know, Ephesians 2, I was saved by grace through faith. That it was not in myself, it was him. I knew it. But in my mind, somehow, some way, I had it messed up that I was saved by his grace, and now it's up to me to live perfectly. Anybody else, like, like you, you're like, okay, so now I'm, I'm a Christian, and I'm walking this life, and I'm going through it all. And inevitably, inevitably, you mess up, you fall, and you're full of despair. Oh. So now i got to go back to his grace. Now i got to fall back and say, God, I'm sorry, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. He's like, you're forgiven. I forgave you. I already forgave you. And I'm walking with you, and I'm going to sanctify you. I'm going to cleanse you because I'm the one who sustains you. I'm the one who keeps you from falling. I'm the one who's doing a work in you. It starts with his grace, and it's always his grace. I'm dependent on his grace every moment of my day. I've started a few things in my life and then not finished them. Anybody? There's some people that have a real problem with this. You know, unfinished projects around the house. Your wife's constantly nudging you. Hey, when are you going to finish up? When are you going to finish up the trim in the basement. When are you going to finish? These are like, this is like, rea- I'm, 
These are confessions. I'm confessing some things that I need to do around the house. I've uh, started a couple of worship songs, quite a few worship songs. I've, I, you know, being a worship leader for a lot of years, I have a lot of, I have like a whole catalog of half songs, right? Things that I never finish, and then I like. Jesus doesn't quit on us halfway through. They give you uh, Philippians chapter 1, and I am sure of this. Paul says, I am sure of this. He's writing to the Philippian church, praying for them. He's, he's greeting them, right? This is the very beginning of the chapter. I am sure of this. I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to the completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He doesn't quit on us halfway through. He doesn't resurrect and redeem and restore. Like he's got the power to resurrect, but then he says, good luck, figure it out on your own, kid. Hopefully you'll make it. No, Jesus is a finisher. And he loves us. And he loves to equip us with his spirit. He loves to equip us with his word, that word washing over us, sanctifying us, that yes, we are cleansed. Yes, we do um, walk more diligently in him because of the work of him. He will sustain us with his power. And so in this place today, we just simply make that confession that Martha made. I believe that you are the Christ. I believe that you are God. I believe that whatever you ask of the Father, that he will do it for you. Did you notice, like, in our text, I don't think there's anybody in the text that actually says, Jesus, will you raise, please raise, like, go, like, will you please raise Lazarus? I don't know if any, they just presented the need. They said, Lord, the one whom you love is ill. She does say later on, if you had been here, if you had been here, he would not have died. But they just like plainly confessed their faith in him, plainly confessed their need. And Jesus, in his love and compassion, he meets them. In his love and his compassion for them, he meets them. And so today, as we conclude, as we respond to his word today, I hope you see what I've tried to make clear. And like I said, next week we're going to look at all the beautiful spiritual realities that are in that phrase, I am the resurrection and the life. We're going to look at the rest of this story when Lazarus comes out of that grave and they peel off the grave clothes. Oh, what a beautiful, beautiful picture. But in this place today, I want you to understand the deep power that is in Christ Jesus. Power. There is nothing too far gone. There is nothing that is at, even if it's at day four in your life, it is not too far gone. Your marriage, your addictions, your anxiety, your depression, your relationships, that wayward loved one, that wayward loved one, I hope you have not given up. Maybe you have a son or a daughter that is wayward, that they are not following Christ, and it breaks your heart. Maybe they are riddled with addictions. Maybe they are riddled with whatever it is. They are not too far gone from the reach of the power of Christ. Don't give up. 
Do not give up. Confess your need of him. Confess your faith in him. Because we have a loving God who is great in power and might. Maybe you're in this place today and you just kind of feel like you've been trying to do it all in your own strength. You know that he saved you. You know the concepts of that, but you, know, like you need the sustaining power. You need that life power, the resurrection and the life, that sustaining power of Jesus. Call on him today. Call on him today. And I think as we go to a time of response, as we go to a time of worship, over the next couple of weeks, I've encouraged Nate to have more songs ready at the end of service. We would be less, like, less eager to get out of here and more eager to respond to his word. I, and I've, and I, like, I've told him, like, stick with it. Okay, we need to stick with it. Like, they're not into it yet. They're not feeling it yet. They're a little antsy, but we need to stick with it. Because it's important for us to respond to the word of God in our lives. There's a lot of times, like, there's that battle in your flesh, that little antsiness that happens, like, uh, it causes me to not, like, dig in, to press into his presence, to not let that Holy Spirit wash over me, to wash that word over me, to really, like, press it in. I want us to keep responding to the word of God. So this week, I actually kind of felt stirred to invite us to pray with each other kind of like we did Fervent Prayer Week. We grouped up in little groups in our, whether it be your family or maybe it be some folks in your community group or whatever it is. And I want us to get real. All of those situations in your life that feel that they are far too far gone. Maybe it's a loved one that, that maybe you've kind of given up on. Maybe you're like, guys, I need you to pray with me for my son or daughter who's wayward, for my parents who need to know Jesus or whatever it is. Or maybe there's like a struggle of depression. Maybe there's a struggle of anxiety. Maybe there's a struggle of something in your life and you're like, I, I need the power of Christ. Let's call on him together. Let's group, I, like I said, I'd like us to group up for a few minutes and let's just pray together. Nate's going to play softly in the background. And at some point I'm going to give him the nod and he's going to start singing. And if you guys are done praying, then we're going to respond in worship as well, to worship and lift up the beautiful name of Jesus. Confess your needs. Confess your, uh, your faith in him. And let's ask. Let's ask Jesus and his wonderful power to intervene in our lives. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to have you guys group up. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. As we go to a time of prayer, God, I pray for miracles. It seems like a charismatic church thing to ask for, but I know that you do it. Every one of the, the lives in this room that has put their faith in you is a miracle. And I know that you have the power to break bondages. The most formidable foe in death you conquered. We see it in Lazarus' life. We see it in your wonderful resurrection. We know that you hold the power. So God, we ask. We ask for you to intervene. For those in this room today that are 
that are bound up. Maybe anxiety, maybe depression, maybe addiction. God, I pray for your power in their life today. For those in this room that are just weary, that are weary, they need the sustaining power, that life-giving power of Jesus. Right now, God, I pray that you would just lift the burden, that you would lift the burden and that you would intervene in their life. So God, in this moment, help us to respond to you. Help us to see your glorious power at work in our lives. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Let's group up, let's pray together for just a few minutes and then we'll go to a time of worship.